At church over the next couple of weeks, we're going to refresh our vision uh, about every need. If you want to, if you're sitting on one of these center aisles here or on that aisle right there, there's some booklets underneath uh, your seat. If you want to pick one of those up, pass it down. Uh, this is an abbreviated and updated booklet to kind of uh, refresh what we're talking about. For some of you, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is going to be just a refresher because we started this 10 months ago and you've been thinking about it every day. Right, it's just completely on your heart and mind constantly. And uh, for those of you who may have joined us in last year, we've had several hundred new folks who've come into Grace Bible Church, and uh, this will be this will be new for you. So in the next couple of weeks, we just kind of want to refresh what God has been doing in our midst. If you notice on pages six and seven, there's a, a chart looks something like this. That's just a visual. It's a graphic of the history of Grace, but I wanted to give you a, um, kind of a, a geographical overview of what was just shown in the video because I like maps. Okay, so here's a, here's a geographical history of Grace Bible Church, right? This is Bryan College Station area. There's Texas A&M right in the middle. And uh, this is where Grace Bible Church began on South College Avenue, uh, 1965. Easy for me to remember the date that our church uh, became Grace Bible Church because that's the same year that I was born, 1965. It's a year to celebrate. Lots of great things happened in 1965. Uh, at that point in time, there were, were really four uh, strategic emphases of our church. The first was the Word of God, or Bible church. We want to teach the Word of God. We believe that the Word of God is living and active and powerful, that it, in and of itself, that it is transformative. And so we teach the Word. In our Bible studies, we study the Bible. In our small groups, we, we have the Bible throughout because we believe that the Spirit uses the Bible. We believe that the message of the grace of God in Christ is, is transformative as well. Right? That's the rich soil in which people are genuinely changed from the inside out. When we understand that God loves us unconditionally in Jesus Christ. Knowing all of our failures, he still loves us and he loves us eternally because we're in Christ. That's a safe place, a confident place for us to grow and change. So it's the grace of God in Christ, the word of God. And missions, we, we from the very beginning, as it mentioned, we had four missionaries right at the very start of the church. Even when the church is struggling to meet its own budget, there was a step of faith to say, we, we want to take on our part in, in our, our duty and obligation and opportunity to see that the nations hear about Jesus Christ. And then the next generation. We've always been a church focused on the next generation, particularly uh, college students and grad students, but also uh, families come into this town. They stay for a short period of time. We can equip them, and then we can send them out. So we want to be a church that's continuously equipping and sending and thinking of the next generation. So we started in 1965, and then in um, 1974, we had an opportunity to move to 701 Anderson, which is right across the street. So uh, if, you ever, uh, if, you have, if you've never been across the street, right? I mean, it, it's not very far. Just take a quick walk. The room where the college ministry meets, that was the original Grace Bible Church. That was everything. As the church began to grow, we put up some portable buildings for classrooms behind, and we partnered with a group of people who wanted to start Brazos Christian School. So that's where Brazos Christian School started. And then we began a college ministry, and it actually met in the, the little uh, kinder care 
uh, I think it's still a kinder care facility here, right at the corner. And our college ministry met there, and then pretty soon hundreds of students were coming, and they're sitting on these little chairs like this, right, with their knees up in their chin. And we're like, okay, how do we facilitate an expanding college ministry? And so we built the gym. So that's where all where Grace Bible Church was, and it was overflowing. And then God miraculously provide us, pre- provided us with this property. And that's a long story I'm not going to tell this morning, but it was a miracle that God gave us right in the same place, this property we built this building, in a few years, we were overflowing again. We began to say, well, what's next, God? What would you have for us? And we felt like God really just dropped in our laps this this idea of church planting through multi-site strategy. And really, there were not a lot of churches doing it at the time. A lot of churches are doing it in the U.S. now, but at that point in time, there weren't a lot of people doing it. And we just kind of stumbled upon this, this strategy to plant but stay connected. And what you may not know is actually our first multi-site campus, so to speak, was actually our Mandarin ministry. Our Mandarin ministry, ministry outreach to Mandarin-speaking Chinese students, grad students, professors, the community here in town, began right across the street, and it has grown. And now, this last year, our Mandarin church merged with the College Station Chinese Church to form College Station Chinese Bible Church. We now have a Chinese Bible church that's uh, meeting now. They, they do some of their meetings here during the week, and then they also meet behind the um, Barnes & Noble over on Texas Avenue. All right, so that was the first campus uh, plant. And the second was Southwood. As Blake said in the video, it was 2008. We, we uh, began to think let's, we, should do, we should expand rather than uh, sell this place and move out to the bypass and lose our opportunity to influence the campus. Let's begin planting churches. And again, miraculous set of circumstances. God gave us the old A&M Church of Christ across from Consol High School. We planted there, and really within about three or four or five years, I think it was about five years, we had two services going. It was completely full, and we began to ask the question again, God, what would you have for us next? And we looked uh, south and saw that's the fastest-growing area of our town, and no one was planting new churches out there. And um, In fact, I, I, mean, I live on a road where... I. I Land is being cleared and houses are going up. I mean, there are going to be thousands of houses in South College Station with no one planting churches. So we started Creekside Campus and Pebble Creek facility. And uh, Creekside, we sent from we sent from the Anderson campus 150 uh, adults to plant Southwood, and then we sent another 150 to plant Creekside. So this church has uh, Anderson has already birthed out. Uh, two churches, and uh, Creekside now is, uh, they're running 450 people on average in worship each Sunday, and on Easter Sunday, they had 700 worshipers. It was crazy, right? I mean, parking is insane because there are not a lot of third graders who drive, right? So their parking lot's (laughs) super small. And as that campus already started to fill up, again, we had entered into a season of prayer with our elders, and we just asked, Lord, what's next? Let, let us not be complacent. Are you calling us to something new or different or more? And that's where uh, this whole uh, Every Knee initiative came out of. With, and, and what emerged was three objectives. Uh, every day, every neighbor, and every nation. Every day, as Blake said, that's the ministry, the ongoing ministry of Grace Bible Church. That's our budget for two years. Every neighbor uh, was uh, focused on getting a permanent home for our Creekside campus and then looking at planning our fourth campus, specifically we were looking in Bryant, trying to find a, a, a community that, that didn't have a lot of uh, activity going on there. There weren't a lot of churches reaching the community. And then every nation, uh, initiating in the next two years, two church plants. 
one in the U.S., because we haven't done a U.S. church plant near a college campus, and we feel like that's one of the things God has, has uniquely kind of positioned us to do, and then adding one more international partnership near a campus, because these are the things that have really allowed us to multiply. So I want to give you a brief update uh, on where we are in each of these initiatives. This is not the Creekside campus. This is just a drawing of the Creekside campus, right? Uh, it doesn't actually exist just yet. But you saw the flyover. This is where Creekside campus is right now. I think this was taken last week. So you can see parking lots have been laid. And then the yellow stripes, that's where the worship center is going to be. And then just uh, to the right of that will be where the education center will be. And hopefully they'll pour the foundation for that uh, this next week, weather permitting. And then in about a year, we'll be able to move into that new campus. So our original campus, as we said, was there on South College Avenue. And uh, in case you missed the announcement earlier, the, the campus that we're looking at purchasing is literally across the street. I don't know if you heard my announcement a couple weeks ago, but, I mean, it's really cool. You can stand on it and just, like, just throw rocks if you wanted to throw rocks. I mean, it's right there, right across the street. It's the old uh, St. Michael's Academy. Uh, it's got a chapel and a gym and several education buildings. And so what we're doing right now is we're just kind of going through our due diligence. We're doing our inspections. Uh, and so far, inspections look good. And if it passes the inspections, then this summer we'll uh, do a congregational vote on uh, that facility, uh, purchasing that facility. And it, assuming that we purchase that facility, then next year we're going to begin to gather a core group of people who want to go and help be part of that plant. And interestingly, when I made this announcement just a couple weeks ago, I had eight families immediately call me or, or email me and say, we're in. Right? And Which I will tell you just thrills me to death because I love it when people leave this church. I'm just kidding. I love it when people leave the church for the right reason, right? Because God will bring more families. He makes more space. But when people want to leave because they want to multiply, or students, when you go out and you have an opportunity to help uh, plant a new church or help grow a new church and help it become a disciple-making church, or families and adults and young professionals, when you get a job opportunity and you get to go to a new place, and we've had a, an opportunity just to invest a little bit in you, and then you leave, man, that is the best of reasons. So I'm going to challenge uh, some of you to, uh, to maybe make that, that leap uh, when, we, when we plant, Brian, not all of you, but some who feel like God's laying it on their hearts to um, maybe go to that next place um, and, and think about what God might be stirring up in your own heart. Now, we have one, one, one other thing that we've been working on. It was alluded to in the video, and that is we're trying to build a church planting residency program. So basically, we, you know, we have a, a fellows program, intern program, and we have, uh, I think this next year, we'll have 40 fellows uh, in our program, and they're in the process of kind of discerning God's calling on their life next. But what we want to add in addition to that is uh, a church planter's residency. So we want to bring potential church planters into our congregation and train them to go out and plant churches. And we're going to launch our first group, kind of a pilot group with three guys uh, and their wives internally who have some interest in maybe planting, and they're going to help us kind of work out the bugs. So we're calling next year year zero, and then the year after that will be year one, and we'll start our, our residency program. So um, I don't know uh, how you feel about that, but I, when, I, when I say all of that, I go, oh my gosh, that's a lot, and I get super, super, super excited uh, maybe as you can tell, and I also feel a little tired. Ooh, that's um, that's a lot to be to be to be stirring up and pursuing all at once. Um, and maybe you feel the same. And maybe the question comes into your mind: um, Why bother? Right? Why why go to all of that effort? 
Uh, We're a Bible church, so I want to give you a Bible answer. And I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. This is Luke writing. He said, The first account that I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So, any binge watchers in here? Anybody? Yeah, there you go. Don't feel bashful. Um, There are, as of January, I just looked this up, as of January, latest statistics, uh, there were 140 million subscriptions to Netflix. And Netflix isn't the only subscription video service. 140 million subscriptions, and people share their subscription services, right? So there are tens of millions more just with Netflix. Netflix alone, on a daily basis, streams 165 million hours of video, daily. Most of that is for people who are binge-watching, right? So, why do we binge-watch? Because we can't wait, right? That's why we binge watch, right? I want to know what happens in the next episode and the next, and I got to find out what happens at the end. I want to know the end of the story, right? So imagine you live in the first century. You can't binge watch, but you pick up accidentally this copy of the Gospel of Luke, and you read through this Gospel, and you realize at the end that there's no conclusion, right? Jesus was born, and he grew up, and he proclaimed the Gospel of the kingdom. The Jewish authorities rejected him. They delivered him over to the Roman authorities, and they crucified him. They put him in a grave. He rose from the dead. He said to his disciples, you've got a mission, and then there's no conclusion. Like, oh my gosh, what happens next? And then you stumble upon the book of Acts. You go, oh great, okay, now I've got the next you know, part of the story, and I can find out how this thing ends. And the church is born, and the church grows, and it moves from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. It goes all the way to the Roman capital. Paul's in prison, and from prison, he's preaching the gospel. And then what? You go, well, what, what happens next? How does the story end? Well, you know what? The story doesn't end, because we're the next chapter. Right? The, the book of Acts is the story of the church, which means it's our story, because We are the church, and every day we're writing a new chapter. I would say it like this. Acts is the story of the unstoppable progress of God's kingdom through the church. It's our story. And so the only question is, uh, how will your chapter read? How will my chapter read? Will, Will your chapter make sense in the flow of this story? Will my chapter make sense in the flow? Will people look at your chapter and they'll receive direction and inspiration and they'll understand this is what the big story is all about. Right? Acts is the story of the unstoppable progress of God's kingdom through the church. And so every single day, we're writing another page with our lives. We're writing another chapter with our lives. And it's about the kingdom of God. Now, that's a, 
That's a huge biblical concept. We've talked about it many times before. Represented here in Psalm 103, David wrote, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. In other words, what David is saying is this. If you think about the kingdom of God, it's everything. Right? God's, God's realm is, is all of creation. But there are moments in time where God's authority breaks into human history in a particular way. And in a particular form. So in the Old Testament, that was the nation of Israel. Right? It, was, it was geographically bounded. It was really ethnically bounded. It was political. It was military. It was also religious and spiritual. But it was a particular form of the kingdom. Very different from what we see in the New Testament. Where the church is the current manifestation of the kingdom of God. And it's not political. And it's not geographical. And it's not ethnic. Instead, it is spiritual, and it is men and women from every tribe and tongue and people and nation throughout all nations. That is the current form of the kingdom of God on earth. And it is unstoppable, and it continues to grow and grow and grow. And our stories are being written into this story because that's the story. And the question is simply this. How will your story read? Will it make sense in the flow of this story? Will it inspire and give direction to people's lives? Because this is the story of what's unstoppable. Now, I would label the book of Acts like this. To be continued. (laughs) To be continued. And in the book of Acts, there are four elements of the continuation. The first is this. It's to be continued through God's chosen witnesses. Read with me again Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. Luke writes, The first account I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach. He's referring to the Gospel of Luke. Luke says, that was the first account that I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So what's the implication? That Jesus is continuing to do something in the book of Acts. This is what he's continuing to do through his chosen witnesses. Jesus left. He said, hey, I'm out. I got this thing started. I gave birth to this new form of the kingdom, which we call the church. And now I want you to bring it to maturity. And he steps out. And I wonder, how did the apostles feel when he handed them this mission? I remember the first time that a nurse handed us a child. And I was like, this is crazy, right? You just gave me a human. And I didn't have to fill out an application. I didn't have to read a book. I didn't go through an internship. I didn't do anything. You just handed me this human. And they did it a second time with our daughter, Anna Joy. I was like, this is, this is absolutely insane. It's, it's more difficult to adopt a cat. Right? There's your cat illustration for the morning. Right? That's all I got. <laughs> How did the apostles feel? I will tell you, they felt completely overwhelmed and they felt absolutely confused. Read with me again verse 6. It says, so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Jesus had been with them now 40 days, and he'd been telling them about the kingdom. And they come to him right at the very end. He's about to leave, probably just a few moments later, and they say, Okay, so... Now, let us get this straight. So now it's at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel. And I just imagine Jesus going, You guys, no, that's not what I said. He doesn't say that they're wrong about a kingdom being restored to Israel. And if my eschatology is correct, 
One day Jesus will return and he will establish a kingdom from Israel for all nations. That will happen. But Jesus says, no, you've missed the point. That's not happening now and that's not any of your concern. You've missed my point. I'm doing something completely new. It's a mystery. It's a mystery form of the kingdom. And you just have one responsibility. This is all you have to do. Stop worrying about the kingdom coming back to Israel. And just be witnesses of the resurrection. That's it. Okay, let me get you guys really, really dialed in and focused. I want you to tell people who I am. And I want you to tell people about my death on their behalf for their sins. And I want you to tell them that I rose from the dead. I conquered sin and I conquered death. And I want you to show them through your lifestyle that's been transformed by my presence among you. That's all that you need to do. Notice he does not say to them, you need to go get people saved. He just says, be a witness. Live the life and speak the words about the resurrection of Jesus. That's your mission. And I will tell you, it took me a while to figure that out. I remember when I first started walking with the Lord, uh, I, I really was dialed into me and the Lord. Right? And, and I thought about, in a sense, Christianity in terms of, of my personal spiritual life and then personal spiritual lives of, the, of some of the people around me. Uh, and I'd heard about missions and missionaries, right? And I thought, okay, missionaries, they're the ones that we pay to go share the gospel so we don't have to, right? They go and they, they go share the gospel. And they're like, there are a few people at every church who are kind of into that thing, like five or six. They're also the people who like potluck dinners, right? I get it. That's not my, that's not my thing. And then I slowly began to realize, no, that's the mission of the church. That's all, that's all of our mission. Make disciples of all nations by bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our words as well as in our deeds. And I would say, church, it's really easy for us to lose our way and to think either just about ourselves or to think about just the programs that we do and to lose a sense of what the mission of the church is, which is to bear witness to the resurrection. Now, I'm going to give you, um, this is not my most embarrassing moment, but this is semi-embarrassing illustration for you to enjoy this morning, right? Um, when, this is about eighth grade. When I was in eighth grade, I had one mission, and that was uh, to feather my hair correctly <laughs> every morning, because my my goal in life was to be popular, and I realized that part of popularity was my hair. And so, I mean, I you know I'd get up early, and I had my own blow dryer, you know, that I didn't allow anybody to use, and my own brushes, so I could feather my hair appropriately, because that was my mission in life before school started every day. Church, I think sometimes some of us are stuck just feathering our hair. We've, we've kind of missed the point of this whole exercise. Bear witness to the resurrection. Through your words and through a transformed life. Because we were made to multiply. I want to give you a few statistics on what's going on in the church in the U.S. right now. According to the latest data, 80% of churches in the U.S. are in decline. They're losing members. 16% are adding members, but only four churches in the U.S. are multiplying and reproducing. Get that? Only 4% of churches in the United States of America, now this is not globally, but in the U.S., only 4% of churches are multiplying. But we were made to multiply, right? We were made to multiply personally, individually, to make disciples, to share our faith and to see people trust Christ and get them grounded, to feed themselves and to feed others. But also we were made to multiply as a church. So church, this is, this is our 
opportunity. This is our obligation. How does the gospel get to the nations? Well, it's when we personally say, okay, we're going we're gonna to find the courage to dial into this mission. And I want to challenge you this morning. Are you, are you really willing to let the Lord have everything in your life? I mean everything. Are you willing to let the Lord turn your entire life upside down? Are you willing to let the Lord uh, take your job and make your job for the gospel? Take your relationships and make those for the gospel. Take your time and make it for the gospel. Take your money and make it for the gospel. Are you willing to let the Lord turn everything upside down until every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, that's why we are here, right? We have, we have all of eternity that we get to worship and we get to enjoy fellowship with one another and we get to feast and we get to labor. But right now, we have a mission. There are people who are your friends and your family, your coworkers who don't know about Jesus. And this is our calling. Through God's chosen witnesses, William Barclay once said, there are two great days in a person's life, the day we are born and the day we discover why. Through chosen witnesses, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we need the Spirit as much as the apostles need the Spirit. I want you to read with me verse 4, chapter 1. It says, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring to the kingdom to Israel? He said, that's not for you to worry about. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So why did they need the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, you know, if you read John or Acts chapter 1, you realize they didn't really understand what they were supposed to do. And if you read the entire book of Acts, you realize they're just kind of muddling along and figuring it out. And when they finally do begin to figure it out, it's an overwhelming task, and it's frightening. They needed the power of the Spirit. And, you know, as I read the book of Acts, I, every time I read it, I think to myself, why don't I experience more of the power of the Holy Spirit? I don't know if you ever ask yourself that question, but I, I, do, I do frequently. And I, there are two things that come to my mind. The first is this, because I, I really tend to view the, the Holy Spirit primarily, if not exclusively, as a tool for my personal sanctification. Right? I, I, and I, I want to say the Spirit is that. Right? The fruit of the Spirit or the manifestation of the Spirit is the Spirit changing your affections and your attitudes and all your behaviors. The Spirit does that, but if you read the book of Acts, the Spirit comes upon them to give them direction in life and courage to do it. Right? Direction. This is what your mission is. Now, it's overwhelming. I'm also going through the Spirit to provide you with the courage to fulfill it. So, not surprisingly, even the Apostle Paul, he had one prayer request for the churches consistently. He said, pray that doors would be opened, right, for ministry, and doors would be shut by the word of the Spirit. So I would know what I should do and what I shouldn't do. And then pray that I would have boldness when the opportunity actually comes, that I wouldn't shrink back, that I wouldn't be afraid. Even Paul asked for that courage. Now what's interesting is, if you compare uh, the language of the Spirit coming upon the apostles at the birth of the church, it's just like the language used of the Spirit coming upon Jesus and filling him. And we say to ourselves, well, why did Jesus even need the Spirit, right? For personal sanctification? No. <laughs> right? No, he, no, that's not why. But he, he was pretty holy, so, why did Jesus need to be 
filled with the Spirit for direction and courage. Jesus would say of himself, look, I don't, I don't speak my own words. I, just, I ask God, tell me what to speak. And I ask God to show me where to go and what miracles to perform and what people to interact with. Right? He allowed the Father through the Spirit to direct all of his activities. And he needed God's Spirit to give him courage because his calling was frightening. Remember the vivid moment in the Garden of Gethsemane where he is on his knees and he is praying and sweat is coming down like drops of blood. That was a man who was experiencing fear at fulfilling his calling. If Jesus needed the power of the Spirit to fulfill his calling, how much more so do we, people? We do. We do, right? Because there there are some messages that are really easy to pass along, right? I mean, every app on your phone, it is a button that says share or retweet or write forward, right? You can just, you can send all these messages. You can just easily do it. And we do it all the time, right? What do we share more than anything else? <laughs> Pictures of ourselves. Because it's easy kind of to talk about ourselves. It's, it's, hard, it's scary to talk about Jesus. Let's, let's be honest. Because we don't know how it will be received. So how will we allow ourselves to find that courage is when we beg for the power of the Spirit. We will not be courageous and bold in our witness until we acknowledge, Lord, this is frightening. And we might even say, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. I'll step into these relationships with kindness and grace, but boldness as well. Because what our friends and family and coworkers need more than anything else is they need to hear that salvation is found in Jesus. And so the apostles experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. It has been said that uh, 95% of what we do in the church could be done without the Holy Spirit because 95% of what we do uh, doesn't involve sharing the gospel. If the apostles needed the power of the Spirit to have courage and direction, then we do. If Jesus needed the power of the Spirit to have courage and direction to fulfill his calling, then we do. And so God has provided that. Through chosen witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit. And third, to the very ends of the earth. Read with me chapter 1 and verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Now, as I read the book of Acts, I think the apostles struggled for a long time to figure out what Jesus was talking about. I think what they heard was, uh, tell Jews in Jerusalem, tell Jews in Judea and Samaria, tell Jews in uh, the uttermost parts of the earth that I'm the Messiah. I think it took them a while to move beyond this uh, very narrow ethnic and geographic mindset. Uh, They were, in fact, resistant initially to the gospel going outside of their own racial circles. But Jesus wasn't talking about geography. He was talking about peoples and nations. Because from the beginning of the story, he said, I'm going to choose Abraham. And I'm going to choose Abraham not because he's worthy of being chosen, not because he's better or brighter or in any way stands above the rest. In fact, he doesn't even have a family yet, but through him I'm going to make a family. And through that family, as they're blessed, all of the nations will be blessed. Right? That was God's intention all the way from the beginning. Now, turn with me to the book of Revelation. Mark your place here in Acts and turn to Revelation chapter 7. 
Uh, a, few, a few weeks back, I had the opportunity to do a chapel service at Dallas Seminary, and one of the things they asked me on the little bio thing is, tell us some of your favorite verses, you know, life verses. And I said, easy, let's go to Revelation. Okay, Revelation chapter 5, Revelation 7, a couple of my favorite verses. Let's read the ones in chapter 7, verse 9. It says, after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and all the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshipped God, saying, Amen, that's right, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might and anything else we can think of, be to our God forever and ever and ever, amen. So for me, that's a life verse, because if I know how the story is introduced and I know how the story is concluded, then I know what my chapter should look like in between. It's men and women from every tribe and tongue and people and nation before the throne and the angels get in on the act and all the elders get in on the act and everybody says, that's right, Power and glory and honor and blessing and truth. God gets everything. And he gets it from everyone. And that's what I want to live for because that's where the story is going. Now, in Isaiah chapter 49, the Lord says this. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Who is that about? Who's that about? It's easy. It's a Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. Come on. Who's that about? It's about Jesus. It's always a safe answer on Sunday. It's about Jesus. It's about the Messiah. However, Paul said, that applies to me. Paul said, that applies to Barnabas. Paul said, that applies to the apostles. Paul said, that applies to the church. Church, that's actually also about you. That's about you. It's just too small a thing that you should just think about yourself or even that you should just think about your family. Now, you may not go to the nations, but you share the obligation that the nations hear about Jesus because that applies to you. Now, fourth, to be continued until Jesus returns. Right? And, and, until, until I pass off this earth and then someone else steps in and they begin to write their own chapter um, or until Jesus returns, this is the story. This is the storyline. This is where it's going. Turn back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 9. It says, after Jesus had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, Behold, two men in white clothes, white clothing stood beside them, and they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now, one more illustration. I, several years ago, I was t- coaching my son's basketball team. I was coaching with a friend of mine, Marcel, because uh, sometimes I couldn't be there or Marcel couldn't be there, so we needed two coaches. And it was really rough when there was just one of us coaching these seventh grade boys because what would happen is I'd, I'd give the boys part of the boys a drill to work on right and I'd get them all set up going on the drill and then I'd go and I'd work with the other group of boys and get them going on a drill but inevitably I would turn back around and I would notice that the, the first set of boys were, were just standing like they're just standing there 
you know, just often really literally seventh grade boys with their mouths open. Just, they're just standing there. And I go, boys, what are you doing? They go, what? <laughs> what are you guys doing? Uh, nothing. I said, why aren't you doing the drill? What drill? I mean, it's like, seriously. Now, you know, I, I just, I have this vivid mental image when I read this passage that Jesus leaves and the disciples are going. And they're standing there so long that God has to send two angels to go, hey, 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 guys, what are you doing? What are you doing? I've, I told you what to do. I told you two things. First, go to Jerusalem and wait, which doesn't mean be passive. It means wait for the spirit. Get ready for the spirit. Beg for the Spirit. Cling to the Spirit. And now when the Spirit comes, go out and bear witness, right? So don't just be standing around, right? And church, that's us sometimes, right? We have the Spirit. We're not waiting for the Spirit any longer. We have the power of the Spirit. But we get caught up feathering our hair or standing around with our mouths open. Let's stop that, right? We know why we're here. We know what our mission is. Let's get going. I'm going to give you three really simple application points. Oh, a good quote first. Good quote first. Arthur T. Pearson, 1895. He said, Church of Christ, the records of these acts of the Holy Spirit have never reached completeness. This is the one book which has no proper close because it waits for new chapters to be added so fast and so far as the people of God shall reinstate the blessed Spirit in his holy seat of control. That is, all we have to do is say yes. Spirit, you get to direct our lives and you get to empower our lives. Now, three quick applications. Very simple. Pray, give, or go. Pray, give, and go. Pray, and give, and go. Pray. I really, really want to beg you to pray for our church. To become a multiplying church. Personally, individually, but also as the body of Christ, that we would multiply. Pray for, actively, your friends and family who don't know Jesus. I I put our boards back out. There are markers here. Uh, This week and next week, if you want to come up and put another name on, somebody who doesn't know Jesus that you want to pray for, if you want to circle a name, find a name, somebody who maybe trusted Christ in this last year, that'd be awesome. If you want to stay afterwards and pray for your friends and your family who don't know Jesus, that'd be a wonderful thing to do. Pray. Because God moves through prayer. God proves to us that this is a spiritual exercise and not merely an intellectual exercise when we get down on our knees and pray and we see things happen that we couldn't accomplish on our own. Second, give. Uh, I want to encourage you to learn generosity. Last year, remember, we did a whole series on uh, generosity. And for me and for Tristy, it was a, it was a really good and challenging time because uh, I remember uh, years ago, even before I got married, I was writing out life goals. And one of my life goals was I want to, uh, when I die, that people say he was a generous man. And as we thought about our giving, we realized, you know, we've gotten really lazy. Electronic funds transfer is awesome for the missionaries we support and the church when we give because they don't miss a paycheck, but we don't think about it actively. And so we realized, you know, we're not really actively engaged in our giving. We're not praying over our giving. We're not stretching in our giving. And so we're not experiencing that joy of giving. And so we felt like the Lord really stretched us in a beautiful way. Uh, I've included here, again, in the new book, a commitment card. And if, if you're new to Grace, I want you to understand, it's not a pledge card. No one's going to knock on your door and ask you about this thing. This is really, in a sense, uh, just a tool as a worksheet for you to think about how you give. And one of the beautiful things that happened this last year was I had so many people come up to me and say, you know, God stretched me. And I loved it. And, and so their giving was stretched, not just in terms of, of what Grace Bible Church is doing, 
But they're giving to their missionaries that they support. And they're giving to community partnerships that are doing good things. They're giving to friends. They're giving to family. In other words, their heart of generosity was grown. And that's the point. Because ultimately, God doesn't need any of our individual dollars. What he wants is all of our hearts. And so I want to encourage you just to go through that process. We'll give you an opportunity. If you want to turn in a card next week, kind of as an act of worship, you can. You don't have to, but you can. I just want you to put some thought into your giving because it's a reflection of where your heart is. The second or the third is go. Go. Now, you may say to yourselves, Brian, that's really hypocritical because two weeks ago we just celebrated that you've been here for 26 years, right? And you're, you seem stuck. Um, but here's the deal I've tried to go, I've tried to leave this place, and God hasn't let me. On multiple occasions, Tristan and I felt like, well, maybe it's our time. Maybe it's time for us to be goers. And each time we've gotten right to the edge of that decision, God has pulled us back. And so every year we evaluate, Lord, are we clinging to something here or is it time for us to go? And I want to challenge you. Be constantly evaluating. Maybe God is calling you to go. Maybe it's for two weeks. Maybe it's for a summer. Maybe it's to sell your house and go to the nations. Maybe as we find our, our next campus plant in the U.S. Maybe God's calling you to go to that place. Maybe God's calling you to sell your house uh, in College Station or Bryan and move closer to that new plant in Bryan. I I have no idea. I I don't speak for the Lord in that, but I just want you to consider as you hold everything with an open hand that God is in control of your life because that's the best and the richest way to live until every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would be bold and courageous by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that we would experience the freedom of relinquishing control over our lives. I pray that we would know the the joy of giving all that we are and all that we have to your son, Jesus, who gave everything to us. I pray that it would not be out of a sense of, of, of mere duty or guilt, but out of joy that we have been so incredibly enriched and blessed by Jesus that we're overflowing and want to give to others. Father, I pray that you take this church and you'd use this church as a light, not just in this community, but among all nations. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Being salt and light.